All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Complete Sports Media's podcast. I'm your host, Darren Campbell, coming to you on a Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And uh, giving a big shout out to all our American friends and family and all the viewers and people that tune into our show. I hope you had a really good holiday and got to watch some basketball. There was, uh, I think, nine games on the basketball slate today ton of early games and i got to see a little bit of highlights and some scores but uh man i wish i was off and got to enjoy it uh we don't have a holiday here north of the border so uh it was back to work unfortunately and uh that's the way it goes but uh anyway hey uh jason cameron joining us as always to break down the weekend of sports a busy busy weekend and uh we're gonna have some fun tonight aren't we Yes, we we're going to have a lot of fun. There was a lot of sports on this weekend uh, for the new year. Another UFC that's on. That's finally the first one of the new year, which was not bad. It's not yeah, bad. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, well, we had Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, UFC returns after a one-month hiatus. Uh, NBA, uh, as I said, uh, this is the closeout of Week 13, heading into Week 14. Um, tons of games today, and uh, man, that must have been fun to check them out. Um, uh, well, yeah, we'll break those down in a little while. Uh, it was great. I had a I had a nice weekend myself personally. My dad came to visit. He's flying down to Puerto Vallarta on Sunday, so he came, and uh, we had a chance to watch some football together. We watched, watched some UFC and had some great food and hung out. Uh, we had a really good time and. It's always nice to get in a visit with my dad. So, um, yeah, and I think he's going to get some great weather down in Puerto Vallarta. So I'm happy he's uh, heading off on his vacation. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous. But also, too, I hope he's not flying with that one airline. What's that one? That's garbage. Uh, Sunwing. Hopefully he's not doing that because yeah. they'll just leave you there and then you'll <laughs> never get back. You'll never yeah, luckily, luckily he's with WestJet and didn't have to That's deal good. with any of that stuff. Yeah, they, they've had horrible, horrible experiences. I, I hear 33,000 complaints uh, <laughs> for uh, yeah, how long is that going to take to go through, just even going through the complaints, seeing what the people were complaining about. And Man, uh, yeah, it, it was a nightmare over the holidays there, but I think it's calmed down a bit finally. No, no, I think so, too. And, and also, too, like, hey, he's with a reputable airline. They're going to get him there and get him home. It's going to be awesome. He's going to have a great time. And, again, he's he's going to actually experience sun, something that we're not going to see for quite some time. Is- <laughs> exactly, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like they're going to have uh, weather in the high 20s the whole time they're down there. So, yeah, I'm happy for him. Uh, yeah, as I said, great weekend of sports. Uh, unfortunately, we got some bad news yesterday. A local legend, Canucks, uh, longtime player, Gino Ojik, passed away. Um, great guy, loved talking to Gino, loved watching him play. He brought he brought an energy to um, the old Pacific Coliseum and Rogers Arena when he was playing there. He just had he had such a great um presence was uh the best teammate uh most guys ever had never hear a bad word about Gino Ojik and uh unfortunately he's had a lot of health issues over the past while uh finally succumbed 
to uh, some heart troubles uh, over the weekend and passed away at 52. Uh, tons of local tributes to him. And, uh, oh, man, I just love that guy. He was just always fun to be around. And uh, he's it's a major loss missing him. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a loss to the Canucks family for sure. Uh, ultimate tough guy, ultimate competitor, ultimate teammate. You know what I mean? Like he 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 exemplified all of those things. Uh, he'll be sorely missed. I do want to say one thing though. I I I met him briefly one time. One time, that dude had the biggest hands I think I've ever seen in my life. His mitts were pretty. They were enormous, giant, yeah. life. giant. Yeah. Life. I know they were the biggest mitts you ever did see. I know it was always shocking to to see them. Uh, I reached out to our friend Vesa right away when I heard the news, and he did a story on him for their local sports paper. He got some quotes from uh, one of uh, Gino's former teammates, Yerke Lume, and um, we we had the pleasure of uh, spending a lot of time with Gino uh, off the ice, um, you know, a- after uh, games and stuff, and and he was always just so fun to be around. We had a lot of laughs, a lot of good times. He was always championing, trying to um, get Pavel Burry into the Hockey hockey Hall of Fame. And it was an amazing friendship that was so unusual because uh, this is the Russian rocket from from uh, USSR comes over. Uh, this is a native guy from Quebec that's playing with the Canucks. And uh, these two guys were two peas in the pod. The whole entire time they were here, and um, he just kept bugging us. Let's let's get Pavel in the Hall of Fame. Let's get Pavel in the Hall of Fame. So we we talked to who we could talk to um, regarding the voting, and finally he got his wish. And I've never seen such a big smile on Gino's face the day he was there when Pavel got inducted, and and all the the partying and fun that they had around that. Uh, it was super special and memories that are I'm, I'm going to cherish forever. Yeah, uh, exceptional memories, right? And it was it was fantastic that he got his buddy into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think he would have got there anyways without him championing the cause, but the fact that he was willing to do that, I'm sure that was very near and dear to Bure's heart. Yeah. And and Gino, as I said earlier, uh, just brought electricity to the rink. Uh, we haven't seen that. Um, I've been to Canuck games recently, and it just felt like a morgue in there. Uh, no fun, really not, uh, you know, electric atmosphere at all. Uh, every time you saw Gino jump onto this ice, you knew something big was going to happen. And, uh, Canucks are sorely, <laughs> excuse me, sorely missing something like that. And, uh, it's just not the same without guys like him in the game, uh, you know, just backing up those teammates. Uh, Pavel Burry was always knew, knew he could go into the corners and not worry about a guy taking him out because uh, Gino would be there to take that guy out uh, if he did. So uh, it gave that protection. Uh, just awesome teammates. and Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a lost art in the game of hockey, and it's too bad to see so many of these guys not in the game anymore. But, um, yeah, the, the memories I have of him are just enormous. And I reached out to so many people yesterday and let them know the news and i just got a lot of like wow what a great guy and wow we, he's gonna be missed and just a lot of amazing messages about him yeah you know like and, and going back on what you were saying before about the fact that travel could go in those corners and dig out the puck is because 
Nobody wanted to get hit with those ham hocks that you would call fists from Gino Ojek, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that dude was one of the best fighters, period, in the NHL at that time. Yeah. And uh, he'd, he'd mess you up real bad. He hurt his buddy. Yeah, and he was an inspiration to uh, all the Indigenous uh, kids uh, all over Canada. Uh, Ethan Bear plays for the Canucks now. He's uh, he's an Indigenous player, and uh, he scored. Um, he scored right around actually right around the time that uh, they gave us time of death of Gino. He said he kind of fe- feels like he grabbed his stick and helped to put it in the net. Uh, he wasn't aware of uh, him passing until the end of the game, and he was very emotional about it he said that he was such a hero to him and all his friends and all the native kids around the around canada and and uh, he would go and talk to these kids and say you know set yourself a goal uh get passionate about something and there's nothing you can't achieve and and you know he was a shining example for a lot of them yeah he was an example he was a role model he was he he was the light to show the way, like you can do this. You can do this as an indigenous person. You can make it to the highest levels of hockey. I've done it. Now know that you can do it as well. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, sticking with the Canucks, uh, they're they're having a tough go. They uh, lost uh, the first four on the road trip. They won yesterday in a shootout, but um, big drama around the team right now. A lot of really strange stories coming out. It looks like. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux, the coach, is on his way out. They're talking about Rick Tockett taking over. Um, Boudreaux came in last year, and they had that chant, Bruce, there it is, Bruce, there it is. And just reignited a fire in the Canucks last year. They went on uh, and had a great uh, end to the season, um, a winning record. And this year it hasn't translated because they have a lot of the deficiencies on their team. But uh, it's too bad that this sort of clouds hanging over this team locally here. Uh, I love Rick Tockett, but Bruce Boudreaux, to me, has done a great job, and he's well-respected from the players, and and, uh, it's just another revolving door here that's just very frustrating to watch. It is frustrating because at some point in time, they're just going to have to make a decision and stick with the head coach and let him work because, you know, like the revolving door thing, well, then that doesn't work because you have no continuity because all of a sudden another coach comes in with a different perspective and a different uh, formula for success as opposed to the guy that was in there before or the guy was in there before that. Then, you know, like it, it just sends mixed messages to the team because, again, like I said, you don't have any continuity. Yeah. They'll have to make a decision going forward like saying, okay, we're, we're going to give this head coach not a year or two. We're going to give him three years to see if he can figure this out. Uh, I wish I wish they would, but, um, yeah, those rumors are persisting. It sounds like it's inevitable, but, um, yeah, you never know the way the Canucks run their team. It's just not that great of a operation. Hasn't been for a long time, so we'll, we'll see how it pans out. Uh, speaking of coaches, uh, Sean Payton is big-time rumored to be heading back to the NFL after sitting on the sidelines for a year and being an analyst. Um, he interviewed for the Houston Texans job today will be interviewing for the Carolina Panthers head job they got permission from the Saints uh, a few other teams are, are showing a ton of interest and uh, good to see him back in the league uh, I think he's a great coach and um, I think I, I hope he goes somewhere that he's able to uh, put his stamp on the team and 
and bring it back to, you know, something where they can be proud of the franchise. Yeah, I, I think he's definitely a coach who can do all of that. But again, for him, he has to look at what's the best situation for him. I, I don't know if I would even touch the Texans. I, I'm going to be honest. I, I would interview for the job knowing that I'm not taking the job because I'm like, you know what? I don't even think you'd give me the, the correct amount of time I'd need to fix all of that because there's so much to fix. There's just so much. Like I, So I don't know if he would even want to take that on. I think he wants to go somewhere where he goes, okay, I got certain elements here. I can work with this. I can work with this. I, 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 can, I can do this. I can... I can make this work or, or another, I think destination that he could actually seriously be considering would be the Broncos because he's used to working with a smaller quarterback, a quarterback that needs to see a pocket or needs the pocket to move so he can see his receivers. That could be somewhere where he could go because already Broncos have a defense that's stud defense. So at least he doesn't have to worry about that side of the ball. So. Yeah, my dad was saying that that was a great destination for him because what he did with Drew Brees as a smaller quarterback and was able to have all that success and win a Super Bowl there, uh, maybe he can work his magic and get that done for Russell Wilson and the Broncos. And we'll see. Um, yeah, there's uh, you know lots of openings, uh, but uh, he's doing the, uh, I guess he's doing the complete tour, and uh, we'll see how he pans out. Um, also doing a tour was Nathan Rourke. The uh, BC Lions quarterback, and now he is uh, a Jacksonville Jaguar. Uh, quite surprising. Um, there seem to be other places where I thought would be a better fit for him, maybe an opportunity at that number one job, but obviously uh, definitely a number two in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence there. Um, but um, I haven't seen the financial details come out quite yet with this but i think he worked out for about 13 teams and jacksonville was the one that uh that ended up signing i'm a little bit surprised at that as well that he ended up going with uh, jacksonville because there's many other teams out there that need a quarterback need a starting quarterback and maybe he went for like like you know the insurance of i'm, I'm going to be the second string this is guaranteed money and all of that sort of stuff that will go into contract negotiation talks. So maybe that's what he was looking at and saying, well, this, this is guaranteed. So I'm going to, I'm going to take this as opposed to taking a risk somewhere else. And then maybe not having the guaranteed money locked in into those contracts. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I'd love to love to hear why he made that decision, but um, yeah, <laughs> glad for him that, uh, even though he had a uh, a really tough injury that knocked him out for half the season, uh, his great um, half fir first half of the season and the ending uh, was enough to get him opportunities down there. I guess he showed enough for teams to sign him, and uh, good luck for him. Uh, minimum contract net right now in the NFL is seven hundred fifty thousand. So uh, you know you're making a lot more than CFL money, uh, even though you're holding a clipboard. Uh, and you know, we've seen so many quarterbacks go down with injury. Uh, you know, you just never know if Trevor Lawrence is gonna stay healthy or not, and uh, he might get a chance there, even. Yeah, yeah, he, he might get a chance, he might get some looks. Um, you never wish for anybody's injury, but it's the National Football League, it could happen. So, I guess we'll see. Uh, Arizona Cardinals named. Monty Austinfort, their general manager today, he leaves the uh, Tennessee Titans. 
He was their director of player personnel the last three years. He spent 15 seasons in New England before that in various roles and uh, good good hire on their part. Um, we'll see what uh, he does to hire a coach after um, they they had to get rid of their guy and uh, move move on forward. We'll see if Kyler Murray can come back at the beginning of next year. There's rumors that he won't be ready at the start of training camp and into the first part of the season. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a mess there, and we'll see uh, if they're able to sort it out. Um, uh, I think he's a good football man. He's about 21 years' experience in the NFL uh, from all accounts. Um, yeah, has learned from some of the best and and should be, bring a lot of positives to the Cardinals. Yeah, uh, he should, and Cardinals need some help, and hopefully he can provide all that help that they need. You know, like because there's there's certain there's certain positions now on that football team that need to be filled. You know, like with uh, JJ Watt retiring, so they need another end, rushing end, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, and and also too, hopefully Kyler, it doesn't take too long to get back on the field in the beginning of the the NFL season next year. But uh, with that being said, you know he he's going to have to make sure that they can at least float until he gets back. to Okay, as I said off the top, it's uh, Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, five games in the books as of the start of this podcast. There is one game going on as we speak. Um, it's the Tampa Bay Bucks hosting the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I haven't been tuning in too much, but I, I've seen a score or two, and it looks like the uh, Cowboys are stomping on the Bucks. Um, after that fiasco with the Chargers, and the, uh, the Jags, I'll never call a team out anymore, even if they're down 27 to nothing. Uh, but, um, yeah, it looks like the Cowboys are uh, going in there and, and taking care of business. But, um, yeah, I really look forward to breaking down uh, a lot of these games that we saw over the weekend. Uh, there was supposed to be about three or four blowouts, and all games were close except for the Seattle-San Fran game. Uh, everyone was a one score game, uh, except for that Seattle game, which was close at halftime. Uh, Seattle actually had a lead at half, but weren't able to keep it on. Uh, weird weekend with seven of the 14 teams were starting a quarterback making his first postseason appearance, and uh, 10 of the starting quarterbacks were under the age of 28. So, a changing of the guard, as you said last week, and um, we've got a couple old guys. Looks like Tom Brady might be packing his bags and not be uh, moving forward. But um, the the as I said, it was one score games uh, throughout the whole weekend. And the king of one score games this year was the Vikings. They won 11 one score games. And uh, it looked like, um, you know, they they should be able to take care of the Giants. You look at the record. Uh, they were 13 and four. The Giants come in. 10, 6, and 1, and you think, okay, uh, you know, the Vikings team at home, they should have an advantage, but the Giants went in there and took care of business. Daniel Jones had an absolutely amazing game. Uh, all his weapons, Saquon Barkley was dynamic as usual, and uh, this team uh, really, uh, yeah, played super solid and was able to get the, the big victory over the Vikings. Uh, what do you think of this one? I was, I, I guess, I don't, 
How about this? We we've always had the questions about Vikings. It's like, well, it's, is it smoke and mirrors though? <laughs> they can like they're, they're they have such a great record, but it's like you always had this. Uh, and I don't know. And then the Giants come into their into their to their arena. They give that to them. Uh, but hats off for both offenses. It was a close game, man. It was a close game. It was a very close game. But Daniel Jones had probably the best game of his career in, in, a, in a must-win situation. And he was absolutely fantastic. He only missed nine passes, or sorry, 11 passes, 24-35, 300 yards, two touchdowns. But the more important thing was 17 carries for 78 yards. He was their leading rusher as well. And so he did it with his legs, and he did it with his arm. And apparently, first player all-time with 300-plus yards with two passing touchdowns and 70-plus rushing yards. First quarterback to ever do that. So, you know, hats off to Daniel Jones. He did an amazing job. And also, too, hats off to a, a little-known receiver, Hodgins. Eight receptions, yeah. yeah. 105 yards, one touchdown. He was big down the stretch. That kid was huge. I came close to picking him in DraftKings, and I really kicked myself all game long. I was like, why? I should have gone him. I went for Richie James instead, and uh, it was just the big, the numbers were so much different. Um, Hodgins, uh, I just didn't know if uh, they would throw him the ball that much as they had down the stretch, but they sure did, and um, yeah, it was it was big. Uh, as you said, Daniel Jones, uh, first quarterback ever to do that. Um, but he didn't. He did join some company with his passing and rushing numbers. Uh, Lamar Jackson and Steve Young are the, the only two other guys to ever throw for 300 yards and personally run for like 70 plus in a playoff game. Both of them never got the two passing touchdowns, and that's where Daniel Jones put himself just above them on that category. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun game back and forth, back and forth. Uh, it was really, um, you know, great offensive display, a lot of, um, amazing performances by both teams, but, um, Vikings were just a, a small step behind. Uh, for some reason, uh, Justin Jefferson was held in check. He got seven catches, but only 47 yards. That's not a typical Justin Jefferson day. Um, I, they, they weren't able to get Dalvin Cook uh, really cooking. He got uh, only 60 yards on the ground and 10 yards through the air. And uh, they just didn't seem to have anybody going except TJ Hawkinson, who seemed to be grabbing balls left, right, and center all over the place. But um, their, their weapons were muted somehow by the Giants' defense. Yeah, I, I think uh, the Giants' secondary basically took away uh, Jefferson's downfield threat. Yeah. And, and I think they were just double teamed them pretty much a lot of that game. And so, and so they kept the, I think their idea was to keep him in front of them and then make the catches, the underneath catches and just limit his yardage. And then so that's what they did. They were incredibly successful with that. And, uh, and the Vikings just couldn't overcome one of the, the best receivers being taken away from them. Uh, Kirk Cousins uh, receives a lot of criticism. Um, you know, everybody said all year, well, you know, they're, they're, they've won nine games. They won 10 games. They won 11 games. They won 12 games. Yeah, but it's Kirk Cousins. You know, he's going to lose it at some point. And uh, his throw on fourth and eight 
to for a three yard toss uh was just the the capper where you're like oh my god this is Kirk Cousins why would he do that um I guess he was flushed out of the pocket he got a little nervous that he was getting close to being tackled but he had to throw it up for Jefferson or Osborne in that situation just you, you got to throw it past the sticks you can't throw it short and expect to get that and uh that was the the killer of the game that was over but um you know you got Jefferson who showed you he can catch balls that are even way over his head and bring him down. Osborne's a, a good like that, too. Uh, it really sh- was super disappointing that he didn't at least throw it past the sticks. It was, I was a little bit confused because I'm like, doesn't, doesn't he need more yardage? Three? That's what, that's what I was confused at. And, and the fact that you're right. like The game's on the line. Throw it to your best receiver, and hopefully he makes a play. Because yeah. like if you don't give him that opportunity, he can't make a play. That that's kind of how it works. Yeah, I saw Jefferson on the sideline after, and he looked just shell shocked. He was just blown away. He had such a phenomenal year. He contributed so much. Uh, he just looked like yeah, he got shut down. They didn't figure out how to get him in open space at all. And and when you got a weapon that incredible, you have to figure it out. You have to get him the ball. Maybe some of those end around sweeps like Debo does you you just got to get him the ball he's your most dynamic player and he only touched the ball seven times for 47 yards that's that's not going to do it when you know the other other teams have dynamic guys that uh you know can put up big yards yeah they, they should have been moving him all over the field yeah. to try to get him open like all over the field constantly throughout the course of that game they clearly did not do that enough they just they just didn't scheme enough, and I think the Giants schemed greatly to take him away. Their scheme that they had for Justin Jefferson was amazing. Well, uh, now the Giants won. They advance, and uh, they get the Philadelphia Eagles, who have been sitting at home with a bye week. They, uh, they get to play them in Philly on Saturday night, 5.15 Pacific, 8.15 Eastern time. Um Eagles will obviously be favored after a phenomenal season and getting the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, the Eagles beat the Giants twice in uh, in the past uh, few, um, but past month, let's say. Uh, they just beat them last week, uh, January 8th, 22-16, to 16, and they destroyed them December 11th, 48-22. to 22. That day was the day they had 200 and 30 plus yard rushing yards and uh they were the dominant team um this will be interesting to see uh facing them for a third time divisional opponent eagles really have had their way with them and and uh yeah i don't expect the giants to be able to do do what they did to the vikings against the eagles i think this is as far as they go i think that the eagles are just a superior team and uh I think the Eagles are going to challenge the Giants to try to stop their run, the run yeah. game. And I don't, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. No. Like I literally, like if I look in my crystal ball, it's not there. It's not happening. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you're right. I feel, I think, uh, yeah, the, the Cinderella story is over and uh, Brian Dayball had a great year. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Point to a ton of these guys. They uh, had a great year, but uh, this probably will 
be the end for them. So um, let's continue on with the NFC. Uh, as I mentioned, the Seahawks and the Niners played early on Saturday. Uh, Seahawks, um, yeah, had a great game plan. Uh, scored 17 points in that second quarter to take a 17-16 lead into the locker room. Uh, the Niners made some adjustments in that second half and outscored them 25-6 to in the second half, taking a 41-23 to victory. Um, there's just too many weapons. We've been yeah. saying it for week after week after week with the Niners. Uh, their 11th straight victory. And, um, yeah, it's just pick your poison. Uh, Seahawks had a great run this year. Uh, they should be really proud of themselves for even just making the playoffs and giving them a little bit of a run for their money in this one. But, uh, yeah, once the Niners uh, were able to get some of their weapons uh, unleashed, uh, this was over. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was I, – I was, I was like, you know what? Seahawks are putting up a great fight in the first half. And then once the second half started, I go, but this is as far as they go. That that's it. Because you could only bottle up all of those weapons that the 49ers have for so long. And the and the other mere fact that their third stringer Purdy, he doesn't turn over the ball. He, he doesn't he doesn't do that. He throws touchdowns. No interception. He doesn't turn over the ball. Like I, I find that the most incredible thing about this kid is that he's figured out I just, I just won't turn over the ball. I just won't throw interceptions. Yeah. And I'm like and he doesn't he does it so well. He doesn't throw interceptions. He's a very smart and cerebral quarterback. Yeah. Um, Debo Samuel, big game. Six receptions for 133 yards and a touchdown. And then uh, good old steady Eddie McCaffrey, or sorry, Christian McCaffrey. Ed was his father. Sorry. Christian McCaffrey, 15 carries, 119 yards, and then two receptions for 17 yards and a touchdown. Like, you know, I like you said, just pick your poison with that team. And what are you gonna do? Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, no, they they are they are so strong. Getting that deal done for McCaffrey halfway through the season, he came in. The Niners have just been on us, you know, another trajectory, stratosphere, and and uh, yeah, look out! You got, you, you know, you you got Elijah Mitchell, you got McCaffrey, you got Samuel. Purdy's come in, hasn't missed a beat at all. Ayuka's uh, playing great. Kittle's there. Uh, yeah, this team is just stacked beyond belief. Uh, I'm super impressed with Brock Purdy. They called him Mr. Ir Irrelevant uh, as because he was the last pick in the draft. But, uh, man, this guy is becoming irrelevant. He's, be, he's starting to break records of, you know, Niners, of uh, some of the great quarterbacks of all time uh, that went there. Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jeff Garcia. Uh, a lot of amazing quarterbacks there, and he's he's smashing their records. He's he's actually just uh, been a, a complete shock to most of the world. And uh, coming in, 332 yards, uh, passing three touchdowns, and he got one on the ground himself. Um, yeah, like holy, uh, this this is a storybook uh, start to his career, and uh, he's still undefeated. Yeah. So so now. If he keeps this 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 ball rolling, right? What happens next year? <laughs> it's like, oh right, we have that dude Trey Lance, but maybe we want to keep rolling with this guy, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, like especially if he just keeps doing what he's doing right now, it's gonna be really hard for you to say to to the fan base, the 49er fan base, it's like, 
well, we're going to go with Trey Lance. He's going to be starting quarterback. It's like, what about that other dude? You know, like, he did so much in the playoffs. Like, it's like, there's going to be questions. There's definitely going to be questions, but yeah. the right kind of questions. Because also, too, there was a dude that, that got drafted late, way back in the day, almost kind of like Brock Purdy. Uh, I think you know who I'm talking about. I don't like that dude, by the way. Don Brady. Like, this, he's kind of going the same route right now. So you have to think to yourself, well, these things can happen. And if it's happening to us right now, maybe we got to capitalize on it. Yeah, they should. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, especially if he can take them to a Super Bowl and even win one. Holy cow, incredible. Yeah, what a what a story. One of the you know biggest stories of the season and what a what a what a rookie campaign already for this guy. And uh yeah, they, they they're still going. Uh they will um host the either the Cowboys or the Bucks uh going in next week. Um they didn't play Dallas this year. But they beat the Bucks uh, thirty-three to no thirty-five to seven on December eleventh, just about a month ago. Um, that game will be the uh, the late game Sunday, three thirty Pacific kickoff, six thirty Eastern. Um, they will host the Cowboys or the Bucks there. So um, yeah, I expect them to keep rolling. I think they're better than both those teams, no matter who wins. Yeah, yeah, I. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like um, Dallas's D is going to be tough, but <laughs> again, they're just going to be like, okay, so who are we going to double team? Who is that going to be? <laughs> so yeah, Dallas D is great, but so is the 49ers D is great. Like I think overall, the 49ers have. Yeah. Okay, let's turn to the AFC. The Chiefs got the bye. They finished first in the conference. And now they will play host to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they Jaguars should not be there. That was brutal, crazy. One of the biggest choke jobs I've ever seen a team have. Um, when you win the turnover battle five zip, you don't lose. It's the first time in the history of the NFL that a team has uh, won a game when they've turned over the ball five times. And never got a turnover from the other team. Uh, four picks from Trevor Lawrence in the first half. Asante Samuel got three of them, uh, almost single-handedly helping, handing the victory to the Chargers. Uh, Brandon Staley, I just kept looking today. I was just praying. Fired, fired, fired. I just kept refreshing my phone, refreshing my phone. I just wanted to see fired Brandon Staley. I was like, please just fire this guy. He deserves it. You cannot lose a game when you're winning 27 to nothing and 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 blow a playoff game and and a big year of Justin Herbert. You got all these weapons there. Uh he does not deserve this job anymore. That was just a complete collapse that is historic in nature and and just disgusting. It was disgusting. I was puking <laughs> in my mouth like all second half. I was like, are you kidding me? They can't do this. And they did it. They blew it. Yeah. Yeah, they, they sure did. I this time I was talking to you before we went on. I fell asleep. I'm I'm an old man. I, I fell asleep because first half, I'm like, so Lawrence jumped through four interceptions. The score is 27-0. As far as my brain said, it's like the game is now over. You can rest now. It is fine. Right? 
When I woke up again, I saw the score of 30 to 28, and the Jags were marching down the field. And I'm like, what happened? What did you do? How could you have done this? Like, what are you doing? I, I, like, I rubbed my eyes, and I'm like, this has got, this has got to be a nightmare of some sort, right? This can't be real. Can't be real. I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. But I will say this hats off to Trevor Lawrence for not getting down on himself like what a normal quarterback would do, and then throwing four darts in the second half yeah. as opposed to four interceptions. So. Shocking. Yeah. 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 I, I don't remember a quarterback being able to, uh, you know, usually they're curled up in a fetal position on the sideline. There's another quarterback in there. By the time they've thrown that much, they're, they're seeing ghosts out of the side of their eyes. They're like, you know, gun shy. They don't want to fire the ball anymore. Uh, it's amazing that he was able to shake it off and and throw four touchdown passes. Uh, you know the rest of the game. Uh, it was incredible performance by him. He is, you know, he is living up to that billing as one of the you know the, those top up and coming quarterbacks. Got drafted first overall and leading leading the Jags to a victory. Uh, they they do not deserve it, but um, they are there. Uh, they were able to pull it off, and uh, now they got the Chiefs. Uh, Cinderella story is is done, you know, now. But uh, to actually get a win must have shocked uh, most of uh, Florida and uh, all the, the fans there. Uh, the other thing that I thought the Chargers had going for them was Cameron Dicker. They had only, He had only missed one field goal the entire season, and you think, okay, he's got this 40-yarder. And it, it went wide. Uh, if he if he makes that kick, they win that game. And um, he he had just been named the AFC Special Teams Player of the Month, and uh, he was he was super confident. And uh, I couldn't believe it. The the announcers jinxed it when they made those announcements. Oh, only one missed kick the whole year. Oh yeah, this guy's automatic. And oh man. I uh, I was pretty pissed off. It kind of ruined most of my Saturday night there, and I just yeah I, I I can't believe that the Chargers could do this. This is a snake bitten franchise, and another big dark cloud going over them uh, for this this loss. This was a this was a game that they had. Uh, Brandon Staley just run the ball, man. Just run the freaking ball and take care of. Them. Of the clock and and get this victory. Like, how could you not uh, secure this win if you're up that much? They were they were giving them the game. Five turnovers. <laughs> like, you 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 win that game. You, there's no way you can lose that. And I can't see the Chargers not firing him. He he made a massive mistake the week before, starting all his players, having Mike Williams get hurt. If Mike Williams plays that game, they win this game because he just makes a couple of big catches. Uh, he opens the field for the other guys, and and they win this game. So he makes a massive mistake last last game of the season, meaningless game. Plays their plays his starters, gets a guy hurt that's one of their best, and and then he goes into this one and and blows a game that the Jags just didn't even want to win. They were like, here, yeah, yeah, here you go, and. Uh, it, it's just horrible to think that the Chargers had that in their grasp and they let it slip through the fingers. Yeah, 
yeah, that all of these things happen. And I'm sorry, you got to look at the head coach and be like, so you didn't want to, I don't know, burn the clock, you know, like just try to control the play with a lot of running plays and stuff. I've heard that Austin Eckler is pretty good, you know, so I don't think he was the problem. He just didn't, you know, give him enough of an opportunity. 13 carries is a bit, but he probably should have had like double that in the second half. Just try to control the clock, wear it down. You oh, know? Why why is he only touching the ball that little? Like he's he's such a weapon there. You know, he, he shouldn't have 15 touches in a game. Like he should have 20 to 25 to 30, especially when you're up that much. You run the ball when you're up that much. You just kill the clock, kill the clock, kill the clock. And and he's a guy that can get into open spaces and get you those four, five, six yards of carry. Or, or catching small little passes out of the backfield. Yeah, uh, my God, I I just I, I think anybody could have taken that game up twenty seven to nothing. Anybody you could have named anybody the head coach for the next thirty minutes, and they would have taken that home. Somehow, only one guy blows it, and this is Brandon Staley. Well, maybe one other guy, Nathaniel Hackett, because <laughs> he probably would have been able to score that many points, but. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Another no mind. Brutal, brutal, brutal. I feel very sorry for Justin Herbert. I feel very sorry for Asante Samuel. Like three picks in a game. Uh, getting a hat trick of picks in a game is unheard of. Absolutely amazing. Um, Gerald Everett was huge. And uh, Keenan Allen was a little bit held in check. And I don't think he would have been held in check with Mike Williams on the other side. I think this team would have easily won. But um, as I said, the Chiefs host the Jags. Uh, that's the Saturday game, the first game of the uh, weekend, uh, 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern time kickoff for that one. So let's move on. Um, Buffalo was supposed to just come into the Dolphins, squish the fish and crush them easily. Uh, we have a third string quarterback there. Uh, against Josh Allen, and this was was not supposed to be close. But for some reason, Josh Allen really likes throwing these long bomb picks and giving teams a little bit of a chance to think that they can win these games. Uh, that was weird to watch some of the um, shenanigans that they had for play calling when uh, this should have been an easy victory. They really had to grind it out. Yeah, they had to grind it out. Some of the play calling was, like you said, a little bit odd i think they tried to be a little bit too fancy or too complex when they could have just been like ah let's just go with our meat and potatoes plays man um and i and i think that's what they should have done maybe that's this is what they learned from that and we'll do that in the future because like uh, uh the dolphins qb thompson I, I don't know who that is but you know like that guy should not be coming close to beating a, a team of the bills caliber that's what i'm saying that that shouldn't actually really happen like that but Bill still pulled it out. They got the win that they needed, so they're going forward. And Allen, 352 yards, three touchdowns, but the two interceptions were big. Yeah. They were big. And almost cost. Yeah, they were big. Uh, he had a fumble, too, on a uh, attempted sack. He was sacked seven times in the game and had the three turnovers himself. Uh, that was tied for the most ever in a victory and tied with Joe Burrow from 2021. Uh, you remember how Joe Burrow's protection was so horrible and he was getting uh, sacked like crazy. 
he also had uh, seven sacks and, and three turnovers in 2021, but got the win. Uh, they sure made it tough on themselves, but they do move forward. Um, Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis both had over 100 yards. Uh, it's the first time two Bills players have had over 100 yards in a playoff game since 1991. Uh that was when James Lofton and Andre Reed uh, both had great days. Lofton had 149 yards and Reed had 122. And then wow. a year earlier than that, um, Andre Reed had 115 yards again, and Thurman Thomas had 150 yards. Uh, so those going back to the glory days of the Bills when they made four consecutive Super Bowls. And, and uh, yeah, a lot of those Bills players were there yesterday and uh cheering this team on and uh this team should have yeah should have taken care of business and stomped them uh but they are through uh now we got a rematch finally of the game that got canceled the bills will be hosting the bengals um that game on the monday nighter this uh when damar hamlin uh that was january 2nd damar hamlin uh suffered his cardiac arrest and the game had to be canceled uh, that game was so highly anticipated, and I I raced home to to watch that Monday nighter. I was super excited, and uh, just felt kind of robbed when uh, they canceled it uh, partway through the first quarter. Obviously, that was the right decision with Demar Hamlin going down, but uh, we get to see it now. We get to actually see these two teams battle it out, and and this is gonna to me the the game of the weekend, and and something that I've been really looking forward to all season long. I think this is going to be a hell of a battle. I like to call this game the game of destiny. <laughs> That's what it is. It's destiny. It was, it was destined to happen. They did. It did. It couldn't go through the first time around, right? Because then the near tragedy that turned into absolute elation because the young man made it. All right. But now they get to do it in the bigger stage in the playoffs. All the marbles. It's it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. I, I can't wait to see it. Like it's just it's gonna be like, yeah, yeah, man. We we weren't able to do the dance the first time, but now now it's going it's going down. Yeah, it's this is down. so this is so great. This this is so great for the NFL, so great for the fans of this league, this sport. Uh it just couldn't have worked out better. What a credible strip script. We're, I think we're gonna see DeMar Hamlin there uh, on yeah. the field. There'll be a lot of uh, amazing moments that we're going to see leading up to this game. And, and uh, man, uh, it, yeah, th th this is cool. Uh, you know, you don't all often get exactly what you're hoping for in uh, in the world of sports, but this was something that I think most people hoped for because that this felt so wrong. Uh, that game had to get canceled and off the schedule. And suddenly, yeah, a few weeks later, here we are getting a chance to see them play. Um, the Bengals – they played pretty good. Uh, I think a lot of people expected them to dominate the Ravens a bit more with Ravens banged up using their second string quarterback. Uh, but they had to grind out a, a victory in this one. Um, there has been some controversy saying that Lamar Jackson should have played. He, uh, you know, should have been, even if he's a little banged up, he should have went out there and, and given his all. Uh, but he didn't do so because he's not under contract. And, and uh, what do you think? What's your take on should he have played 
or did he deserve the right to to just keep keep off the field, make sure he's 100% healthy, get your con- get a contract and then go forward? Uh should he have played or should he not have played? Ah, uh, you know what? I'm going to be honest, I think it's the player's decision at that point in time. I I I I like the fact that he actually could make that decision for himself and couldn't be influenced by the team. Number one. And number two, uh, there was a quote made by RG the third, and where he said, I had something similar to Lamar Jackson, and he went out and played. And and then he showed the play, I think even in his Instagram, where he had that huge leg brace, and then that the, there was bad snap. And he went back to retrieve the ball and his leg went in caved in this way, like way too far. He literally was never the same after that play again. Like, he was never the same after that. And then I don't think he even lasted in the league for maybe two or three more years bouncing around, then he was done. So he said, you know what? I think he made the right choice. And when you see that play and, like, RG3 say, I gave it my all. I shouldn't even play it on a, like a, on a knee that didn't even work. I think he, for him and his family, I think that's the right call to not play. I, I, I Honestly, I think it's the right call. And especially if it's a legitimate injury. You can't say that he should be playing. Good enough for me. Well, when he doesn't have a long-term contract, doesn't have any security, uh, yeah. you know, he doesn't have any guaranteed money after the season. Uh, it wouldn't make sense even if you, even if you were eighty-five, ninety percent, you know, don't risk it. Uh, yeah. This is your whole entire career. Uh, if you, you know, have a have a bad play that just goes awry and uh, you get your leg trapped up yeah you know that's it for you for your career and you're right uh i that's a really good example of uh, robert griffin the third uh michael vick was very vocal saying that uh he would have played and he thinks that uh, a lot of the players like lamar are um you know uh, a little bit soft and he was saying some pretty harsh things but nobody knows how your injury is but the guy that's actually injured and, yep. uh, you know, he, they, I heard that he was hobbling around when he ever went to the practice facility. He definitely was pretty injured. And, um, you know, the, if the Ravens wanted him to play in that game, they should have signed him a contract in the offseason and uh, had him under contract uh, coming forward. Um, I think he'll stay in Baltimore. They've had a lot of animosity and a lot of troubles getting together and making a contract work. But I think he'll still be there. It was just too bad that he wasn't able to be under center and we could have seen the best against the best. Yeah, that that was the shame. That was the shame. But it's the NFL, man. Injuries happen. And and in, the, in this particular situation, it was a little bit more delicate because of the contract situation. But I'm just going to go with this. The man was injured and he wasn't well enough to play. Yeah. Good enough. Tyler Huntley uh, played okay, but made a massive mistake when he decided from the two-yard line to try to push the ball over the end zone, over the goal line, and got it knocked out. The fumble, bam, lands into Hubbard's hands, and he rumbles 98 yards down the field. The Cincinnati native, the guy that grew up there, decided got to play for his hometown team and uh, got the winning margin. Uh, the, the Ravens were about to push it to 24-17 themselves. Suddenly, boom, it reverses. Bengals get that 24-17 margin, and uh, that was it. That was the game. Yeah, and that was the winning score. So <laughs> good on old Sam Hubbard. 
Yeah, that's that's our that's our lucky charm. That's Cincinnati's literally their lucky charm. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing play. Uh unfortunately, I don't know what Huntley was thinking because there's still the, the, the possibility that if it doesn't cross the line and if it gets knocked out of your hands, it's a fumble. It's a fumble, man. So I, I don't think he was thinking that. I thought I, I think he was thinking that he was definitely going to get over the line. That's why he chose to do that. But an interesting comment by J.K. Dobbins after the game where he was like, I don't think my quarterback should have ever been put into that situation. I should have just been given the ball to run it in. I thought that was interesting, probably said in the moment, obviously, but it does make one think maybe that would have been the more correct call. I agree. Uh, Dobbins is your guy, and uh, he yeah, he should have had that, that ball. Uh, I, I don't see why. Dobbins had – had had a fantastic game, uh, you know, 17 touches. He had like over 100 yards with a touchdown himself. Uh, you know, he was uh, he's he's their guy, and uh, you know, you're you're re- relying on a backup second string quarterback. I don't I don't get it. And he was he was too far from that when yeah. he took off. He was too far. If he was if you're only a, you know a yard or less than a yard, you can punch that out immediately. We saw Trevor Lawrence do it. We see, seen others do it, but. Yeah. When you're taking off from between the two and the three, that's just too far, and you're running too much of a risk when that whole entire line is right there. They got an opportunity to knock that ball free, and that's what happened to him. And I feel sorry for the guy, but, um, yeah, it shouldn't have been in his hands. I think Dobbins is right. I Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. It, it kind of reminds me of a certain Super Bowl where a certain guy should have been handed the ball, but then instead – what ended up happening with Brady just won like another Super Bowl, right? Yeah, right. Talking about Seattle uh, yeah. um, uh, Patriots, so not like I'm bitter, but that regardless, was yeah. it was it was unfortunate. But the Bengals go ahead, and uh, <laughs> now we get to see our dream matchup of the Bills Bengals. Yeah, let's get it on. I I think I agree with you. I think that's going to be the best playoff uh, game of the weekend next weekend. Yeah, I, I did not want the Ravens to win. I wasn't cheering for them, but I was really mad at their clock management in the in the last few minutes. Uh, they took some – they went in, into the huddle, and they blew about 30 seconds of play uh, between the two minutes and a minute and a half, between uh, one minute and half a minute. Uh, it was just frustrating, maddening. I was just like, how could Jim Harbaugh – uh, me be making these massive mistakes and allowing them to just run the clock down so much. They had three timeouts and uh, they were taking these really long huddles to call a play and uh, the clock was just winding down. And I think they, they still had a chance to get a touchdown if they would have managed the clock much better. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they would have had a chance, but I, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't know what the heck was going on. I'm like, what are they doing? They're gonna they're gonna milk the clock. I think they need to score. I think that's the wrong thing to do. <laughs> they're doing the complete opposite. They're helping the other team. Does Harbaugh have money on this game for the other team? <laughs> I, I didn't know what he was doing. It was yeah. it was it was, it was, it was super frustrating. frustrating. Uh, and just to ruin a you know incredible defensive effort. They actually held the Bengals down in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we've seen the Bengals put up way better numbers uh, throughout the season. Uh, they had a great defensive effort, and and to waste it on you know very very poor 
play calling at the end and uh yeah give give them an opportunity didn't didn't give them the opportunity to win i was i was choked and blown away and it was super frustrating um yeah well that is the uh that is the nfl story for now um uh there's great games coming up this weekend and uh yeah we got uh I guess we got seven games left in the NFL, four coming up this weekend, two the following, and then the Super Bowl. So, uh, man, getting down to the nitty-gritty, getting some great matchups coming, and, uh, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, I know. I, I cannot wait. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be another great weekend of football. Getting down to it. Um, as I mentioned, it was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day today. The NBA always becomes front and center on days like this, and they schedule a huge amount of games all through the morning, afternoon, and into the evening. Only one game left on the schedule that hasn't been played already today. The Rockets and the Lakers are currently playing in the second quarter. Uh, Rockets are on a 10-game losing streak, lost 15 of 16. Lakers have lost three in a row, and uh, they are far down the standing, so... Not exactly a barn burner that I'm going to be tuning into uh, once this this podcast is done. But um, a lot of good matchups today. Um, I I really enjoyed some of the highlights. Great to see the Raptors win in overtime, 123-121 over the Knicks. Great performance there. Uh, Celtics uh, continue to dominate. Had a huge victory there today, 130-118 to over the Hornets. Uh, Warriors got 41 out of Steph and got a big victory over the Wizards. Uh, Bucks won without Giannis. Uh, Drew Holiday had the big game there. Uh, the Hawks beat the Heat. The Cavs beat the Pelicans. Uh, Jazz just squeaked out a win over the Timberwolves, 126-125. Grizzlies continue their hot play and dominated the Suns, 136-106. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of great matchups today. A lot of great matchups. Um, uh, the the big score of the day was uh, Jason Tatum with fifty one points, nine rebounds, and five assists, and his uh, and the Celtics dominating win over the Hornets and uh, Raptors in, in in a in a in a in a very very close matchup against the Knicks. I actually I I had it like I watched some of the game, and it was fantastic because the Raptors had to battle back against the Knicks. And Freddie Van Fleet was big down the stretch. He was big, man. 33 points, five rebounds, eight assists. And and I, I love the team. It's just, it's almost as if they're just missing that one very much breakthrough superstar. It's it's like they're like they're just very close. Like they're almost there. You know what I mean? Like it's like they're missing that one guy. Like if they had, I I find that almost every game. I just wish they had, yeah, just one guy, and you could could see them at the top of the East again. Yeah, like if they had Kawhi still there with that team around him, and 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 if Kawhi was actually you know playing on the regular, that that's it. That that's the kind of what they're missing. That's what they're missing. Yeah. Um. So, uh, obviously, when they faced the Knicks, they faced Jalen Brunson, who signed a big deal there this year, leaving Dallas and uh, going to the Knicks. Uh, he got the Eastern Conference Player of the Week this past week. Uh, led the Knicks to a 3-1 and record, 35 points, 6 rebounds, and 5.5 and assists for the week. Shot over 52% from the 
from the field, 50% from three, and 97% from the free throw line. Uh, awesome performance from him. And um, uh, I know Dallas is missing him big time this year. Yeah. Uh, Dallas just doesn't have that, just that, that, that guy that just basically sets the table other than Luca. Once Luca leaves the floor, you know, like they just don't have that distributor that Brunson was. And that was, that was his role. Luca left the floor and then Brunson could distribute and make sure that, you know, the offense just kept on humming along. So, um, that's something that the Mavs are going to have to figure out going forward with that team because they, I think they, they definitely need another player like that whenever uh, Donkic leaves the floor. Uh, the Western Conference Player of the Week was DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, he led the Kings to a 4-0 record. Uh, he's averaging a triple-double this past week with 18.5 points, 14 uh, point three rebounds and over ten assists um, has really turned this Kings franchise around, and uh, they made a lot of deals in this past off season, and uh, seems like uh, it's worked out pretty well for them. They're um, yeah, they're becoming a, a force to be reckoned with with a lot of uh, great games and uh, doing well. Yes, yes, they're they're becoming a force to be reckoned with, and then also on top of that. I believe DeMontis is, is playing actually with an injury. I think he has an injured thumb. Mm-hmm. And so he's doing all of this with a, with being kind of handicapped. So it's almost like he's saying to the league, I'm not even at my best, all right? And I'm still able to do this. It's <laughs> yeah. how good I am, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty well, yeah. Yeah, it's that's pretty, pretty cool, well. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's good to see he's, uh, yeah, even playing injured, he's still dominating. Um. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the the Celtics, wow, they are having a hell of a year. They've got a four and a half game lead on the uh, second and third place team in the conference, uh, thirty three and twelve. Uh, they've won nine out of their past eleven games, and um, uh, there's there's some teams in the East that are are playing pretty well. Um, the last ten games, uh, we've seen the Nets, Sixers, Knicks, and Heat. I'll go seven and three. Um, Raptors entered into today sitting 11th place, just a half game back of Chicago. Uh, they might sneak into that play in game soon if they don't make a major move. Uh, there was a story about CJ McCollum saying that this Raptors team is great. They just need that one more piece, just as you mentioned. Uh, they just got to make a trade. And, and I think that sort of ramped up some trade speculation. And some heat on it, and uh, we'll see what Bobby Green and uh, and Masai Ujiri pull together. I uh, hope they can make a deal and uh, make this team solid, so they can get uh, higher up in the Eastern Conference standing. Yeah, yeah, they they need a superstar. I think I think that's what they're list- they're lacking. They just need that superstar because I think they have all the other pieces that they actually need. Just that one guy. They can get that. They can figure out who that is. If they can get that one guy, I think uh, the Raptors are going to go shooting up the conference ranks immediately. Uh, Just turning to the West briefly, uh, Denver's leading the conference. Uh, Denver and and the Grizzlies have the exact same record of 30 and 13. Uh, Both teams have won nine of their last 11 games. Um, Man, uh, I'm loving – 
seeing the Joker against Jaw going for the Western Conference top players. Uh, that that dunk that Jaw threw down on Saturday, one of the greatest dunks of all time. Uh, they they showed it on replay on TSN probably like twenty times in a row because everybody couldn't believe how much of a tomahawk, how far back he was when he threw it down. Uh, the bench went crazy and. And he's just a uh, human highlight reel uh, every single night. Even when he misses, is a highlight. Like, even when he misses. But that that dunk was absolutely insane because he literally floated past the man and said, I'll just wait for you to pass me. Okay, now I'll dunk it. Bam! It was just like, ah, it was awesome. It was like, what, what a great highlight. So spectacular, yeah. Um, yeah, the, uh, it's shaping out uh, the Western Conference like a lot of – people suspected kings are a lot higher than people thought uh but the teams that are sort of shocking me are the ones that are in 10 11 12 13 we got the blazers thunder suns and the lakers weird to see the suns down in 12th place uh lost three in a row only one win of their past 10 man are they missing devin booker and uh this team has fallen on hard times after being at the top of the Western Conference the last couple seasons. Yeah, it's it's shocking that how much they've just fallen. You know, like um and then also too, like the whole situation with Jay Crowder, that situation is yeah. so are you trying to tell me you couldn't use that guy right now? Like really? <laughs> I, I I don't I don't really understand that situation. I, I, I think it stems from the fact that they said that you would have to come off the bench and he's just like, Oh, I'm not, I, I don't actually do that. I don't think I'm bad enough that I need to come off the bench. I believe he's right. I'm looking at the one and nine right now. I think he's right. So, um, yeah, uh, there just seems to be a disconnection with the entire team. And it doesn't help that your best players are out right now with injuries. So, yeah, you're and, right. Yeah, strange. It's weird. Must be uh, some something else uh, in the scene that we don't know about, but – yeah, it's shaping up good. Um, LeBron James became the second player in history to get uh, 38,000-plus points over the weekend. Uh, he is uh, probably less than a month away now from breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time record health providing. Uh, I said I really wasn't interested in watching the game tonight, but it's always amazing to watch LeBron um, come out there and, and start breaking all these records. It seems like uh, every week we're talking about him breaking another record, setting another milestone. Yeah, it's it's incredibly impressive every time. It is incredibly impressive. But um, <laughs> it's just, if there's one thing, though, that the Lakers should be kind of a little bit more focused on is, are we, are we just going to waste this year? He's still really good. <laughs> just gonna just going to throw it away. I guess it doesn't help that Anthony Davis is – he was having an MVP-type caliber year. Like, he was back on it. He was back – he's back to Anthony Davis that we know, like, the full – the full the height of his powers. He Anthony looked Davis. incredible before he got hurt. Incredible. Yeah. And then – and then he got hurt yeah. again. And so you're like, oh, oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. You know, like – and so I, I don't know what they're going to have to do going forward, but – if they plan to keep LeBron on, you gotta you gotta give him a better team than this. You gotta give him a better team than that. True. Yep. 
Okay, uh, let's go to the UFC. Uh, they were off for an entire month. <clears throat> Finally had the first card of 2023. Uh, this was fight night 217, Vegas 67. Uh, this was supposed to be uh, Kelvin Gastelum against Nazardim Imovov. Uh, Gastelum got hurt, Sean Strickland was a late replacement, give, uh, given five days to get ready for this fight. Uh, luckily, Sean had fought on the last fight night before the holidays. Uh, Jared Cannadier was uh, his opponent back then. Uh, so he had two main event fights within a month of each other and was able to step in. Uh, I didn't love his performance against Cannadier, but I really thought he did a great job in this one. He was the aggressor. Uh, he was pretty elusive and uh, took the victory to Imovov when a lot of people weren't giving him much of a chance. I, I incorrectly didn't give him a chance in this fight either. But um, the one thing that I don't give Sean Strickland credit enough, it's the style that he fights. He makes it incredibly uncomfortable for the guy he's fighting across from because of the space, the way that he likes to fight. He fights close, and he's always close to you. He doesn't take steps back. He's always very much in your space. And Imovov was not used to fighting somebody like that. Actually, he's been training to fight somebody more traditional that would keep space. So he, I think he was flustered and was kind of confused about how he should be attacking Strickland. And he never figured out that code. He never cracked the code throughout the entire fight because – Strickland fights in a boxing sort of um, a, a boxing distance, and Imovov is not used to that. He's used to incorporating his kicks and everything else. So every time he was trying to gauge more distance, Strickland would cut it, cut him down, cut down that distance immediately, and always stay within that. And he's incredibly elusive within that distance. He's very economical in his movements, and uh, yeah, uh, it was a very sound decisive victory on my part for Strickland. He looked, he looked fantastic. Yeah, you're right. I, I love that he can be elusive being in that pocket, in that phone booth. Uh, he just knows how to make those movements, uh, just be just a little bit out of the way of the shots that are coming. Uh, his pressing, he, he doesn't um, give up on the, the uh, constant pressure and uh, the strikes. He's jabbing a lot. He's throwing his shots. A lot. It was, um, yeah, it was one of the best performances I've seen him in a long time. And uh, I, I wasn't expecting that of him from, you know, just a month ago, seeing him really not be that guy. Uh, he really was able to change his game plan completely for this one. And, uh, yeah, he won those first four rounds, I thought, pretty handily, pretty easily. Uh, I thought Imovov probably got that last round uh, after his his corner implored him like you got to knock this guy out or you're losing this fight. And uh, he finally turned, turned up the heat a little bit, but um, yeah. And, and great performance by Strickland. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Strickland. Just uh, I don't, I don't know. He just seems like a bit of a jerk. Uh, he doesn't come across as one of those guys that you, you look up to and think this is a, a model of the UFC fighters. Uh, he's a big mouth. He says a lot of really strange things. And, and uh, yeah, he's not a shining example, but 
when you see performances like this, I can appreciate the fans that are fans of him. Yeah, the man can fight. Yeah. And and he, and he fights in a very particular style that makes him very it makes him very hard to fight. But yes, I I kind of agree with you. He does say some weird stuff sometimes. Some really weird stuff. So anyways, but going off, you know, regardless of all of that, great win by Strickland. Uh, and uh, hats off to him for taking this fight on very, very, very short notice and getting the win. Uh, the co-main event I was looking forward to a lot. Uh, this is a striker versus grappler matchup that I always love. Um, our friend Scott Holburn is always going to go for the grappler. I'm going to go for the striker. Uh, I was hoping Ige could come in and do this. I wasn't really confident that he could because he had lost three in a row, four of five, uh, Jackson, Damon Jackson, had only lost one out of his last five and seemed to be really putting something together. Uh, Ige came in, and there was fireworks immediately. He pressed the action and uh, was throwing some really hard shots. Uh, Jackson just kept circling and trying to stay away from these shots because Ige was just really relentless early on. And um, he, he finally just landed a, a couple of shots that seemed to wobble Jackson and was able to to take him out uh got his 50k uh just like his nickname and uh this was a great performance from Ige coming back after three straight losses uh hasn't won in a couple of years and had really fallen on some hard times but uh this must have felt incredible for him his corner his camp and his family yeah it it was and it was incredibly emotional after that win, because he, as you said, he hadn't won in a couple of years, and it was it was very depressing times for him. But the one thing that I did notice in this fight, he was laser focused, and his stand up was obviously much better than uh, uh, Damon Jackson's. But at the same time, I thought Jackson still still did very well in his stand up in his preparation with Ige. You know, like he kept on the outside and picked the shots when he could. In the second round, when Ige finally got to him and knocked him out, they were actually in the middle of an exchange, and that Ige's left hook got there before his left hook got there. And then that was it. That's all she said. Now, if I'm David Jackson, I probably wouldn't want to trade hooks with Ige because there's clearly somebody stronger at that than I am, and that's Ige. And that's why he got knocked out. That was a, a walk-off KO. We don't see yeah. too many of those. Uh, always fun to to see and and uh, know that the guy just knew as soon as he landed. Yeah, that was good enough. All right, so who's <laughs> next? And, and uh, yeah, it, he dropped real, real quick. And yeah, I uh, I loved you guys' performance. Of yeah, Jackson's tough and 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 brought it still. But um, yeah, Ige, uh, as you said, uh, you don't want to exchange. The same punch for punch with Ige. If you yeah. if you feel like you're gonna win, uh, it's probably not gonna be the case. So, uh, okay, let's talk about the middleweight fight between Roman Krylov and uh, Puna Soriano. Um, both were nine and two coming into this one. Um, Puna was just throwing some really huge shots early, but he just couldn't seem to land clean shots. Uh, Kopolov um, was Really good at his leg strikes, keeping him on distance. Uh, really seemed calm in, in uh, his demeanor and his approach. And uh, just walked through any of the shots that did land. Until finally, 
he was able to uh, land some body shots to Soriano that just seemed to really just buckle him over. Uh, he wasn't able to really get back to his stance. Uh, another body shot, put him down, and then it was all over. Kerry Hatley came in when Krylov just uh, forced the action. And, uh, yeah, great performance. Uh, I thought Puna really put it at him early, but wasn't able to land those big shots that he was trying to throw. Yeah, like Puna came on strong in the beginning there, and Kopilov just, he weathered the storm. He weathered the storm. He was able to pick his counterattacks when he could, but uh, and Puna wasn't able to land anything solid. And then in that second round, once he started landing those liver kicks, ah, Soriano felt every single one of those kicks. And you could tell from that first one where he's like, uh, even the announcer was like, oh, he's hurt. <laughs> he's hurt bad, right? Like, you could tell, like, it was it was written on his face. He had the physical reaction to the kick. And then the second one is what really did the damage. And then he put him away. I was I was impressed. I was impressed with this win by Kopilov. Impressive win. Impressive win, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, uh, the fight that... Um... Uh, preceded that was the women's bantamweight fight between Rocky Pennington and Caitlin Vieira. Uh, this was a, a, a great battle between two girls that were super tough. They both uh, brought it. Uh, they both threw a lot of uh, really heavy shots and, and had each other um, yeah, in, in trouble at times. But um, I really thought that Vieira won this. I scored the first and third for her. Uh, I had Rocky winning that second round. The judges ended up calling it a split decision, and uh, Pennington got the victory. Uh, she's asking for a title fight now. She's uh, She is on a, a great streak and near the top of that division. But um, I actually thought Vieira won this. Uh, when they went to the judges' scorecards, I thought she was going to get her hand raised. So did I. I. I scored it like you did. I thought Vieira won this fight. I was a little bit surprised at the split decision. And then I was even more surprised at the split decision win for Pennington. And I was like, Oh, that's not the way I thought saw that coming. Um, I guess they gave the fight to her more for her control against the fence for Pennington. I guess I, ah, yeah. Anyways, great win by Pennington. Um, I don't necessarily know if she's going to get her, her wish for a shot at the champion. I think there's others that would probably be, uh, better suited at a shot for the champion. But, uh, you know, if she can maybe get another win in the top five, uh, then she'll definitely get that shot. But I, I don't know about that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think she needs uh, at least to be impressive in one more sh in one more fight before she gets a shot there. Um, yeah, it, uh, yeah uh, I, I, I didn't think she did enough to get that victory. And you should get a convincing victory to get a title shot. And that wasn't the case. Uh, the fight that kicked off the main card was Umar Nurmagomedov against Howney Barcelos. Um, this was a mismatch. Uh, I I didn't like the uh, I didn't like the matchmakers putting these two guys together. I thought Nurmagomedov was uh, you know just definitely way superior of the fighter here. Um, after just a a small little feeling out process in that first minute, uh, Umar just uh, put it on him. Uh, this was, uh, yeah, this this was kind of ugly. I thought uh, Umar, uh, yeah, beat him bad and uh, got the knockout victory. 
Yeah, he, he got the knockout victory against uh, Barcelos. Um, I, I I like the fact that Omar, you know, like he got it near the end of the first round, but he took his time. He, he just took his time, and then once he finally exploded, he saw his opening, and it was. I'm gonna be honest. I didn't think it was really even much of an opening. Missed with the knee, caught him with the left, knocked him out right then and there, and then I think he hit him again with the right, and it was it's, it was over. And I, I love the fact that Umar was apologetic for doing one overhand smash while he was dead to the down opponent, where he goes, "That was my mistake. I'm sorry. He was already out. I should not have done." Like that, like saying it in, in in his accent, I was like, "Huh." So. so you're apologizing to the guy that you knocked out because I gave him one more shot that I shouldn't have. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that too. Um, I was talking with Grayson about that today. We both uh, made a mention of it. Uh, yeah, it's good to see. That's good sportsmanship. It is. Uh, there's a lot of guys that will just keep pounding a guy. If the referee didn't stop him, he would just pound and pound and pound and pound him. Uh, yeah. Pretty amazing that uh, he was that aware and, uh, you know, had to send out his apologies because he didn't really want to hurt him any bad, any worse than he already had. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. good. I, I, I got respect for him for making that mention. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. I, I definitely do. And I, I wish more fighters were a little bit like that, but uh, you know, Hey, it's within the rules. Going to the ref pulls you off. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Uh, let's talk about the prelims. Uh, the featured prelim had Javin, Javid Basharat and uh, Mendoza, uh, Mateus Mendokoya. I don't know how to say his last name. Shit, I forgot. Uh, <laughs> Mendonka, is that how you Mandonka. say it? Mendonka, I think. Uh, this was his USC debut. They both came into this fight both undefeated. Uh, Basharat 13 and 0 and Mendonca 10 and 0. Uh, this was um, this was a good one. I uh, I enjoyed these guys. Uh, lots of great leg kicks. Uh, a few nice lefts landed. Um, some takedowns that were. I think uh, Mendonca had a lot of takedowns that were stuffed by Basharat and it tired him out. I think uh, eventually when he got tired out. Uh, Javid was able to land some big shots, uh, get him down, get some ground and pound that really uh, turned the tables in his favor, and he was able to uh, finally get the decision victory here. Yeah, Mendonca, he, he tried to press the action against Basharat, tried to crowd him, tried to make him uncomfortable. But uh, eventually, from what I saw in the fight, is that his, his gas tank started going on empty, and Basharat was still good to go. And that was a big problem, especially in the third round where he literally began to take over. Um, Basharat is an incredibly savvy, smart fighter, keeps his distance, knows how to manage his distance well uh, with his combinations and, and, and his kicks and such. And uh, he was definitely the better technical fighter out of the two. And that, that definitely showed throughout the course of this fight. Um, great win by Basharat against the very, very game Mendonca. Very game. <laughs> yeah, that was uh yeah, great, great performance by Basharat. Um, nice, nice win. Uh kicked the guys O in his debut. And uh, there was a few fighters making their debut, USC debut on this card. 
uh, and the fight that preceded um, them, the uh, Claudio Ribeiro uh, was making his USC debut. Comes in at ten and two, fighting a really, really powerful, tough guy in Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Um, he has eleven victories in his MMA career, all of them by KO. Uh, once he was able to finally land a shot. <laughs> it was all she wrote. Uh, got his 12th KO and his 12th win. And uh, man, this guy has amazing power. Uh, that, that second round, once he just came in, was able to finally get the shot to land. Uh, it was all she wrote. Yeah. And he was more than willing to trade a shot to get a shot. So he was, he was not really checking Ribeiro's ridiculously hard calf kicks that he was throwing throughout the course of that fight. Like I was, I was amazed that he was like, that he was willing to go that far, which is I'm going to eat these calf kicks so I can just like hit him with a punch. Right. Like, and I'm like, Oh man, I, I don't know how many more you could actually eat of those because those looked incredibly powerful, incredibly strong, both big men for their weight divisions too, as well. But once he was able to, get stimulated because I believe he got, he ate a calf kick. And I think Al Hassan literally said enough's enough overhand, right? Overhand, right? But like he basically was like hammering a nail in to the ground until it was over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he just started pounding that nail and was not going to stop until the referee pulled him off and the guy was nailed through the canvas. It was, <laughs> it was pretty awesome and uh, incredible performance. Um, he called out Joaquin Buckley after um, he swore like you wouldn't believe. I will not uh, read the whole quote, but um, he was just, he was calling him every name in the book, trying to uh, get him angry. Um, they fought, um, Back in February of 2022, uh, Buckley got the decision, a split decision victory. Um, he's He said, he's a pussy, he's a this, he's a that. Uh, I'm going to show you how effing African fighters fight. He said, Buckley promised me that he would come in and bang, and all he did was run, and uh, I want to have him just come in and uh, we'll go toe-to-toe. And uh, we'll see how if they can put this together. That would be pretty, pretty wild. Both those guys are massively powerful for this weight division. And it's always fun seeing uh, power guys go at it because then you you know, usually without a shadow of a doubt, well somebody's gonna get knocked out. Yeah, there's gonna be a vicious KO, and I'm gonna go home happy after seeing yeah. that. So Hassan's one of those guys that doesn't seem to care if he gets knocked out. He he doesn't doesn't fight safe at all. He just he just goes and goes and goes. And if he catches, you know, he catches the guy great. If he gets caught, oh well. Uh he, he doesn't seem to be fighting smart. I think his corner was imploring him to use a different technique and a different style. And I think he listened a little bit, but uh this is a guy that's just exciting every time he enters the octagon. Yes, he, he's absolutely exciting. He's absolutely explosive with that uh, just obscene amount of power that he brings into the octagon. I look forward to it. Well, hey, maybe, hopefully, the matchmakers make that fun. Yeah, let's let's hope. Yeah. Um, okay, let's blast through the last few here. Uh, Mateusz Rubeski was making his UFC debut. The uh, Polish fighter uh, 
coming in 16 and one on his record, fighting a one of the most inexperienced guys in the UFC. Had only fought uh, six times coming in, six and oh, Nick Fiori. Um, man, this Mateus Robeski uh, has just an awesome, absolutely dominant power. Uh, another one of those Polish power guys that just is built so, so solidly. Uh, he was just throwing some serious, serious shots. And um, his ground and pound was pretty amazing. Uh, I thought he dominated on the feet and on the ground and and really took it to this guy. Yeah, he, he had very timely takedowns against Fiore. I, I'll give Fiore this. He's, he's tough. Like, I, I think a lot of other guys would probably would have like uh, been KO'd or technical technical knockout for sure. But uh, Rebecca managed to hold on. His gas tank was, uh, was a little bit flaming out in the third round. But again, he got the timely takedowns when he needed and uh, controlled the fight when he had to. Uh, got the got the decisive win. Uh, Alan Nascimento got 50k for his submission victory over Carlos Hernandez in the flyweight fight. Uh, the first minute there was a bit of just timing each other out, uh, making sure everything was fine. Uh, Alan connected with a good combination, and then he just immediately transitioned to his back while they were standing. Was able to get it to the ground. Uh, even when Carlos got the fight back to the feet, uh, he was still able to sink in that rear naked choke and enforce the tap. Um, amazing, great performance by Nascimento. And, and uh, yeah, this this was a pretty easy submission victory for him. Yeah, yeah, this was, it was almost like he was like, you know, he was just practicing on the mats, so to speak. I, I think Nascimento definitely outclassed his opponent in this particular fight. And it wasn't really close. Uh, Nascimento got a yeah, pretty easy victory here. Carlos had only won uh, one fight, eight, eight and one coming in, but uh, got a second loss, his first loss in the UFC. But, um, yeah, Nascimento was was better there. Um, the uh, the early fights, they weren't on um, our, local, uh, our local cable. They didn't start the prelims in time. Uh, I did watch a little bit of it, but uh, Argetta was better, got a, a decision victory over uh, Nick Aguirre, and Charles Johnson got a really good uh, KO victory over Jimmy Flick to start the card. And that was the first fight of 2023. Uh, they will always be able to say that. And uh, it was a nice performance by Charles Johnson getting the KO win. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very good uh, performance by Charles Johnson. And, uh, yeah, great KO win for him, for sure. Um, okay, I do want to mention uh, a couple of things um, before we just talk about next week. Uh, I want to say that uh, there was – you You actually sent me some uh, info about uh, John Jones and Cyril Gane going for the uh, heavyweight ba uh, belt. Uh, Francis Ngannou has been released by the UFC. They weren't able to come to terms on a new contract. Uh, Dana White said that uh, he was going to be the all-time uh, highest paid heavyweight fighter of all time. And uh, he walked away from that to pursue other avenues, um, become a free agent. Uh, I'm not surprised. I don't think you are. Uh, you and I talked about this for the last couple years, really, 
And, um, you know, once he started getting into battles with that and there was other opportunities out there where he could probably make more money, uh, we thought this was uh, probably inevitable. And uh, they finally uh, decided this was it. They're moving forward. And and uh, he's no longer part of the UFC. Uh, shocking to see um, the heavyweight champion of the world in a way, uh, you know, walking away from the uh, the top combat sports organization in the world but uh i think this was kind of inevitable i i think so too i i do love i do appreciate i'm gonna say this i appreciate the fact on how dana white always tries to control the narrative of how people are supposed to perceive how the contract negotiations negotiations actually went as opposed to actually how they went all right so he, he kept saying this would have made him the richest heavyweight in the game and blah, 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 blah. Yes, it was. So basically, he's trying to tell you that he wanted more money. That was not the issue. Wasn't the issue. Um, and also, too, then he added in the other caveat of, well, maybe he's just kind of afraid of the competition here. But because this is what we do. And if he does what he wants to do, then he does need to go somewhere else. And I go, that that wasn't either. it either. That, that, that's not it either. If you saw this man in real life, you would understand that he's not afraid of anything that's walking on God's green earth. Okay? That's that. So, what actually was the issue was the fact that Nganu wanted the chance to do what Conor McGregor did and he wanted written into the contract that he could go off and box Tyson Fury for a obscene amount of money. Guess what the UFC said? No. Oh, no contract. We're good here. We're done. That was the sticking issue. That was one of the major, major, major sticking issues. Yeah. You're, you're never going to hear him say it, but that was it right there. Yeah, it's strange that uh, Dana White wouldn't want this because, you know, look at how much money he he and Connor made when Connor went and fought Mayweather. Uh, it was a big coup. Uh, it got more people talking about mixed martial arts and the UFC champion. Uh, most boxing people, traditional boxing people, you know, hey, MMA, forget that. All of a sudden, you know, we had our guy against your guy. This was huge. It became one of the biggest fight cards in the history. Uh, if you're going to fight Tyson Fury against Francis Ngannou, why not get a piece of the action? Let him go in and have a boxing match and then let him come back and, and fight as a UFC champion. It was very strange that um, they couldn't come to that agreement. And you're right. He controls the narrative. And he says what he says. Uh, he's afraid to fight the greatest of all time, John Jones. He's, uh, you know, it's all about the money for him. Da 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 da. And no, you're 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 100 accurate with your assessment of how it went down. And I'm looking forward to hearing Francis' side and and see everything that you know, shakes out in the wash. But um, it's it's too bad. Uh, Dana White said the only other heavyweight champion that he was never able to. Uh, get a contract done with that he tried to was Fedor Emelianenko. Uh, this is the, only the second time in his history that um, he wanted a heavyweight champion to come and sign a contract and was unable to. So, um, yeah, good on Francis. I hope he makes a huge amount of money. I hope he goes to another one of those MMA organizations and, and brings up the level of it. Uh, PFL is doing really good things. We've talked about them in the last couple of weeks. Bellator, he could go there and fight. Um, a lot of the top guys that are there and uh, have a great career, probably make just as much or, or more money 
in those organizations. But if he does fight Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, uh, you know, goes into the, the heavyweight title boxing realm, uh, you know, we're talking uh, way, way, way more money than he can make in MMA. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're talking, like, how about this? If, if he was confident to say, I'm going to walk away from this, that means his people are working on something else, okay? That, that's what I'm confident in saying, too, as well. And I I think he would have to be an utter idiot to not go after the possibility of making anywhere between 30 to $50 million off of one boxing match. They go like, I'm sorry. Dana White can say whatever the heck he wants, but that's not smart business to give up that much money that could possibly be on the table. And we're, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I think the likelihood of it happening is a lot more than what people are giving it credit. I, I would pay to see it, and most people would. So, you know, I, I hope they make it happen, and it will be uh, – yeah, it'll be great. Uh, hopefully he can get back 100% healed his uh, knee injury, and uh, we can put something together. Uh, this could be one of the biggest heavyweight uh, matchups in, in the history of combat sports. And, uh, yeah, I would love to see it be really great. Another fight that just got booked – oh, uh, how do you feel about the – John Jones, Cyril Gane uh, for the belt in uh, in March. Um, do you think um, John Jones not fighting for this long, uh, it'll affect him very much, uh, or uh, he'll come back and be as dominant as he always has been? Well, he just fought. He, he just signed a new eight fight uh, contract with the UFC, number one, which I think that actually does make him the highest paid heavyweight in in the, the heavyweight division. It would have been in Ganu, but now it's John Jones. Um, so apparently we're going to see him fight now for a while. So I, I'm excited for it. I think this was the fight that they had to make for the belt if they couldn't sign Nganu. So they probably had this literally prepared way before all the contract negotiations, everything else. They probably were like, okay, well, how is this going to look if this guy walks away? Because I think, Dana White was very much aware that the possibility definitely, definitely existed, and now it's happened. So, I, yeah, I think this is the best they could have done, um, and I think this is going to be a very exciting match because we haven't seen John Jones step away, been away from the sport for this long, and now step into the ring against the highest caliber of opponents. Because Ghani is tricky because what he does is he gets you to fight at his cadence, his speed, his rhythm. And it's very hard to break out of that. I'm curious to see how John Jones deals with that. I'm curious to see how he deals with all of a sudden just jumping into into the octagon with a five round fight. How's his cardio going to be? It's going to be a lot of question marks. So yeah, all right, cool. Let, let's let's see it go down, man. Let's see it happen. Yeah, yeah I I think it'll be uh, it should be a great fight. Uh, it, you know that that uh, rust that he probably will have. Um, first fight at heavyweight too. Suddenly you're dealing with a whole bigger guy. You're dealing with a bigger body yourself that you're not quite used to. Uh, I think it's going to be hell of a challenge for for Jones. And um, yeah, Gane is the man. Supposedly waiting in the wings is Stipe Miocic. Uh, we'll fight the champion of whoever wins, and uh, we'll see it together. I was disappointed that it was going to be in Vegas because uh, I'm kind of concerned that John Jones will get himself into trouble again in Vegas and not be able to actually fight. Uh, I don't trust him to 
stay out of trouble. Hopefully his camp sort of locks him down somewhere and uh, keeps him out of, out of shit. But uh, how many times has he got in trouble in Vegas? And uh, yeah, it's, they should have made it somewhere far away from all the distractions and trouble that he can get himself into. I got it. Maybe what they've done is they've created an underground bunker system for him to train. So he doesn't see the light of day until he's allowed <laughs> out. It's like, now you can go fight. Get a go out there and win. <laughs> but they keep him locked down for like two months. <laughs> that would make for a good Rocky uh, episode, wouldn't it? That a good Rocky movie, uh, training in a bunker. We got the got the eye of the tiger going. And we're seeing Jones get ready for his battle. Yeah, that would be super awesome. Yeah. Um, the other fight that got announced uh, over the weekend was that um, the trilogy fight between Leon Rocky Edwards and Kamara Usman, that is booked for London, uh, UFC 286 in March. Um, we know that Kamara Usman was close to uh, beating Leon Rocky Edwards uh, back in August, and suddenly uh, Rocky landed the shot that took him down and knocked him out and got the belt. Um, this will be cool to see them finally get this rubber match and uh especially in front of rocky's home crowd in london uh this is this would be cool uh, i can't wait uh not too far in the future into march no it's gonna be a great fight it's gonna be a fantastic fight um now edwards has the confidence to know that he can beat usman but usman also too has the confidence to know that i made a mistake kind of or you could argue that edwards created an opportunity to take him down. So it's one or the other, but either way, I, I'm looking forward to this fight. I think it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be a raucous crowd. Raucous crowd. And I'm sure, it's gonna, I'm going to throw this out there, so I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. It's good, I'm sure he's going to get his boy, Patty Pimlet, Patty the Batty, is going to be on that card, for sure. Guarantee. I guarantee it. It's going <laughs> to happen. Yeah, that, that probably is the case. I do see some of the fights on this card. Uh, Rafael Faziv against Justin Gaethje will be fun. Roman Delice, Marvin Vittori, Gunnar Nelson against D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, we've got Joanne Wood, Joanne Calderwood, Malcolm Gordon's fighting on there, Jai Herbert, Ludovic Klein, Nathaniel Wood, Leron, Leron Murphy. Um, yeah, a lot of good fights that are so far on that but i'm sure yeah uh, we're gonna see pimblet there uh they they love putting him in front uh okay and we're uh into the week of ufc 283 from uh rio de janeiro brazil we've got glover Teixeira and jamal hill for the light heavyweight championship of the world um man i'm i'm super pumped for this fight uh i i love the matchup that matchup's fantastic. I think we're going to be more entertained than the light, other light heavyweight contest that we had for the belt. Yeah. I think this is going to be a more entertaining fight, which is kind of why they made the fight. And it, it's against two fighters of very differing styles. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm super happy for Glover. He turned down that last fight, and you never knew uh, what was going to happen at his age. You know, was he going to get another shot? 
was able to get a shot pretty quickly, and uh, I'm happy he gets to fight in his, in front of his hometown fans, and uh, it'll be great. Uh, the the four uh, I don't know what you call it the fourth fight between Davidson Figueroa and Brandon Moreno we call it trilogy I don't know what you call four the fourth fight because we never have have it happen. Uh, this will be great. Um, this will be just guys throwing lots of transitions, amazing amount of fights. Uh, these guys know each other so well. I don't know what you can bring different, but uh, man, I, I I haven't looked forward to a fight like this in quite a while. I think this is going to be the fight of the night. Out of all the fights that can happen on this uh, card, it's going to be the fight of the night. And I think I think the difference is going to be absolutely heart, guts, will. Because like we, they've seen everything else that the other man has to throw at them. I think that's going to be the deciding factor. These guys are just going to come after each other and, you know, try to take each other's heads off for yeah. five rounds straight. Another, it's going to be awesome. Another belt uh, on the line for the flyweight champion. Um, so many Brazilians on this card. Gilbert Burns fighting Neil Magny. Uh, we've got Jessica Andrade taking on Lauren Murphy. Uh, I love I, I love seeing Paul Craig against Johnny Walker. Uh, another Brazilian, all Brazilians throughout. We get get to see Shogun Hua uh, fighting Ilior Pretoria. Uh, we get another uh, Brazilian, Gregory Rodriguez. Uh, on and on and on. Uh, man, this is going to be a heck of a great card. Yeah, it's going to be a great card. Again, I, you and me both agree. Love watching Paul Craig. Johnny Walker, got to do the right thing. Don't go to the ground with that dude. Don't do it. You're going to lose a limb. He'll never get back. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> I know, yeah. You do not you do not want to have Paul Craig wrap anything around your arm or leg. That's it. Yeah, you're in trouble. That guy is crazy. Good. Um, yeah, so this was uh this was awesome. Uh great to see uh Super Wildcard weekend, uh awesome NBA, great to see the USC back. Uh we're getting to talk about all this uh crazy matches and and uh man um john jones finally uh you know Dana white calls him him the greatest of all time uh so do a lot of people i'm not sure where i stand there but uh if he can win this belt and uh go on a little bit of a run yeah he might be a two division champion and uh you know starting to take on these huge guys colossus uh division uh this could be incredible uh, eight fight uh, commitment. That was pretty incredible. I was really surprised to hear Dana say eight fight contract. But um, yeah, maybe we'll get to see him uh, more than once every two, three years. And uh, maybe he'll fight two or three times a year now. Um, but yeah, uh, this will be cool uh, for the UFC. Uh, I wish Francis Ngannou nothing but the best. He was a great champion. Loved watching him fight in the UFC. And and uh, let's hope he, he gets $100 million in the next couple years. And and can really set himself up, his family, and most of Africa from where he's from, uh, you know, can really help out there. Um, yeah, I I hope he finds the, the the perfect situation for him. Yeah, I hope he gets the success that he, he definitely deserves. And also, too, shows others that there's opportunities other than the UFC out there, yeah. that there's other opportunities out there. I hope he demonstrates that. So that now you you have leverage when you have these contract negotiations. Don't just think, oh, I got to take it. No, man, you do not actually have to do that. You have opportunities. You have choices. 
And I and I, I applaud him for saying, you know what? If you're not going to agree to that part of the contract, I'm out. And I, I love that. I, I like that. I like the fact that he understands exactly what's at stake. Because, like, I'm sorry. Like, I understand that Dana White, Connors' his boy, that's why he gave him that opportunity and all that sort of stuff. But are you trying to tell me that nobody else deserves that? No one else deserves that. Really? Okay, cool. Right on. Yeah, no, that does. Yeah, like I said earlier, it doesn't make sense. Uh, you'd think that uh, you know Dana and whoever else would want to jump on board because um, you know that was so massive for Connor. But when yeah. you're talking about the heavyweight champion of the world, you're talking about the baddest man on the planet. That huh? that really really moves the needle. That is a lot of pay per view buys. That is you know one of the biggest fights that have ever been held on the planet. And we saw him when Tyson Fury was fighting. Deontay Wilder, how massive it was on the planet. You know, it's uh, if he can get it together with Usyk, holy crap, it's going to be bigger than that Connor Mayweather fight. Uh, You know, this is a a different weight class that everybody goes, whoa, look at these two massive behemoths fighting each other. It it brings in people that normally don't watch combat sports, boxing or likewise, and they want to watch it. Yeah, and also too, it generates money. A lot of money. Like, money, and you're in the business of making money. So, you don't want to do that. You don't want to. You want to make money. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't get it. Maybe it's a measure of control that they need to exercise over their fighters. I have no idea. I, yeah. I, I, I don't really get it either. But at the end of the day, I wish Ngannou nothing the best, and I hope he gets one of the biggest, most lucrative contracts that he can possibly get. That's what I wish for him. And. Uh... I think PFL is a really legit option for most fighters now. I think, uh, you know, they can make more money. Almost everybody can make more money in the PFL than they can make in the UFC, especially if they can win their division and win that million dollars. They can win money on their purses throughout the year and then win that prize at the end, a million dollars. They have also contracts that aren't part of the season-long tournaments, and uh, they, they allow those guys to negotiate the contract on their own. And uh, with uh, Jake Paul signing there recently, I think it would be smart for Ngannou to sit down and, and discuss and, and see what the options are there. Uh, I think him and Jake Paul could probably come together and, and uh, promote, promote the fight uh, where, yeah, no, nobody's ever had more views for a fight, uh, you know, if they could – if they could come together with it, it would be pretty, pretty historic. Yeah, it would be absolutely historic. And then since Jake Paul has, has um, um, experience putting together these boxing matches and making money out of it from fighting, you know, like nobody. <laughs> so it, this, it, the world is his oyster right now. And, and all he has to do is just figure out how he wants to navigate it. That's about it. Okay, man. Well, happy Monday. Thanks so much for doing this. I hope you have a great week ahead. And um, yeah, let's keep in touch. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit through the week. And uh, yeah, we'll do this a week from tonight. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. You have yourself a great evening. Okay. Cheers, man. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye for now. Bye for now. Okay. Well, another episode down. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. As always, appreciate your support. Uh, speaking of support, appreciate our partners and sponsors. Uh, thanks for your continuing support. 
And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, make sure you tune in every Monday. And coming up in March, we're going to do a lot more of these. And um, yeah, uh, you'll see the Complete Sports Media Network uh, just flying. Um, yeah, take care. Enjoy the week ahead. Uh, I hope you had a great Martin Luther King Day for all you south of the border. And um, enjoy the football and UFC ahead. Uh, we've got some really, really exciting things happening. So take care of yourself. Love you lots. Bye for now.